bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a wonderful guest with us all the way from Austria, Lily Rojas. Lily is an international humanitarian, a university professor. She co-founded the European Institute of Collaborative Law. She specializes in teaching the culture of peace, corporate social responsibility, as well as multicultural intelligence. Welcome to the show, Lily. Well, welcome to the winner's circle, Cheryl Esposito, because (laughs) your book won a bronze medal, didn't it? Oh, thank you, Lily. Thank you so much. Don't you love it when I have the best guests, you know? They take such good care of me. (laughs) Yes, in fact, that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with you, if you don't mind, because I really love poetry, and I know that the book that you wrote, which won the bronze medal, part of the reason people are really raving about it is because you have a poetic point of view in teaching about leadership. Oh, I love you. This is great, Lily. (laughs) I I would love you even if you didn't say that, but this is so sweet. Thank you. Well, isn't this a lovely way to start with you giving me love and me reading you my crazy poem? So here it goes. I wrote it today for you because when I found out you had won, your book had won the surprise. And it goes, so here's to Cheryl Esposito, who like an Olympian has won a bronze medal and isn't that neat, oh, so let's toast her with a beer and say cheers and hear, hear, wishing her great book sales and future inspiring tales. We honor Cheryl, not slightly but mightily, credit card in hand, buying in the spirit of leadership right off the stand. You're amazing. <laughs> That's so fun. Thank you. Isn't That's that so fun? Sweet. That's great, Lily. So tell us where you are today. Well, I'm uh, at home in my office. And uh, where are you today, by the way? Well, I'm in San Francisco, California in the U.S. And you are in Austria, yeah? Yes, I am for the moment. I spent uh, time, of course, work takes me to many different countries, and I spend a lot of time in Spain. But today... You have caught me in Austria, yes. Oh, yes. I know you travel the world a lot. So, and, and that actually is part of what um, makes your life so interesting and, you know, such a wealth of experience that you then share with so many of us out in the world. Your life has taken you to the opportunity to live in many different parts of the world. You grew up as an international child. That's the way I I see it. So let's go way, way back, Lily. Let's go way back to where you were born. You were born in Nicaragua. Uh, Right. So tell us a bit about your early years. 
as a child? Well, I have to say that those uh, early years were not um, the most, how would I say, carefree times at all. But that goes with the history of a country that has had a lot of turmoil and um, a lot of civil wars and people invading them and all the sorts of issues that have concerned my professional life from then on. So I would say that I was fortunate to be born to a political family and also a family that had uh, a lot of caring about what happened to others, and I've simply continued that on. And um, the turmoil of a country like Nicaragua, or you take any of the Central American states, to this day they are extremely problematic, uh, not because the people inherently cause problems, but lots of other people have invaded them and um, wanted to exploit them for one reason or another. And uh, so, actually, uh, I had a, a book. There was a book published in the United States, where you're calling me now, mm-hmm. and uh, from now, and it was about, the book is about home, and in it, they published an essay, uh, a very short sort of poem essay that I wrote about those early experiences in Nicaragua. The book is called Where the Heart Is, A Celebration of Home. And um, so, Cheryl, this is just a, a very small little piece, and it's called okay. Mamita, which, of course, in Spanish is Little Mother. And it goes like this. A canoe, a river in the jungles of Nicaragua. My mother sitting dead center, back erect, child in arms, terrified eyes forward. Two sumo Indians, one in front guiding with his spear. The other in the rear, eyes roving aware of every sound and listening for the silence. It is in silence, in the stillness of the animals' voices, that death comes. Death, a home we know so well. Perhaps my father is at this home now, we don't know. The soldiers were in the front of the house, and we were in the back. Quickly, someone grabbed Doña Maria, my mamita, and she grabbed me, and she almost fainted several times as she ran from her husband in the nightmare that was theirs, toward the place of unfathomable fears, the swamp, the swamp of all nightmares, the nightmare that would now be ours, just mamitas and mine. And yet, it was our salvation, our only hope. Should I insult her by calling her brave? I could not. I can only tell you how it was, this home she created for us. Hmm, that's beautiful, Lily. That so captures the moment in time and your experience. It really lets us see inside what was really happening. How old were you when you remember that time? Uh, At that particular time, I was a very young child, um, under... 
under two years of age. And one of the other stories that my mother tells, it's funny we're talking stories because we both tell stories, you know. I've published children's books and academic work, and you have published, so it's lovely to trade tales with you, Cheryl. But one of the stories that my mother often tells uh, is about, occurred when I was about seven months old. And she said uh, that she was breastfeeding me in the living area, living room area, and my father was present in the house. And soldiers came on the back looking for him in the back area. And uh, one of the people that worked for our family alerted my father that, of course, he was in danger. So when he fled... My mother was there facing the soldiers because she knew that she would not be harmed. And in that moment, her breast dried, and she was not able to breastfeed me again. Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of experiences that I worked with, actually, worldwide. I think these early experiences influenced me very much. I certainly don't remember seven months, but I've always uh, had a soft spot in my heart for the vastness of this life, for the the joy, certainly, Mm -hmm. but also for uh, the pain. The the soft part in my heart is is for um, the people of the world who Mm -hmm. suffer. And, of course, we all suffer. I mean, even... Recently, I was working with uh, uh, someone, a client, who has everything in the world that you would want, vast wealth, a lovely family, great health, not affected at all by by the current financial crisis, and um, children she cares about, and and many other things. And yet she told me that uh, she wanted to speak with me because she felt uh, that life was not worth living. And so one of the things that I've really learned, whether I'm working in war zones or working with uh, migrant children in uh, the United States or wherever I might be working, is that um, there is suffering and pain in, in many different circumstances, mm-hmm. not, not just the, um, the ones that people usually think of, like war or extreme poverty right. and such. Right, right. You know, I mean, that is what, what that brings to mind for me is how important it is for us as individuals to always be looking to, you know, what what is this person sitting across from me experiencing? You know, not what my perception is of them, but what is their story? You know, what is it that could be causing them pain, could be bringing them joy, which I may not have any idea what any of that is, and yet we make a lot of assumptions about people when we meet them. And so it's such an important reminder that you bring forward, Lily, to always be looking at someone with compassion, you know, 
you talk about that a lot in your work, you know, the whole concept of compassion. Tell us a little bit about how you became so compassionate. That um, you can see that I'm pausing, you know. If if we were uh, being uh, videoed or filmed in some way, or I guess now we'd have to say if we were being digitalized <laughs> or for screen in some way, people would have seen me really pause at that question. And the reason that I pause is because it's a huge question that you ask, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. So you are uh, also a very compassionate person, and and so the question is, how did I become so compassionate? And the answer I'm going to give uh, again goes it goes back to childhood, and it may sound kind of funny to to some people who have had different childhoods than mine. But I have always had compassion, and I have. It, it was never a question to me that if somebody was unhappy in some way, that if I had something that could make them happy, then then why not share it? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I was extremely conscious of once we uh, emigrated to the United States was that it seemed to me I used to observe adults a lot. You know, I I don't know if you were this way when you were growing up, Cheryl, but I was one of those children who observed a lot. And um, so I would observe the fact that the adults around me really wanted to have different things, whether it was the neighbors or family members or the greater culture, parents of little friends or whatever. People were always talking about what they had just purchased, Mm. they were purchasing at that moment, or were about to purchase. And what I noticed, even as a child, is that whatever it was that they were talking about never made them very happy for very long. Mm -hmm. So maybe a little neighbor would come up and she'd say something like, you know, oh, you know, daddy's getting us a bicycle or whatever, and they would get the bicycle, and the next day everybody's fighting over the bicycle or (laughs) or whatever it was. And I noticed it in the adults for some reason – you know, Americans and their autos, yeah? And people were always so excited, and everyone would come and look at the auto and look at the car and, ooh, what kind is it and how luxurious is it or whatever. And, you know, two, three days later, the car was forgotten and people were back to being the unhappy people that they were. And this is just something I observed as a child, it was very clear to me that um, there was a lot of pain in the world and that, uh, as I said, that if there was something I could do about it. And I think children 
do have this component. Mm. You know, children can be very cruel. I mean, I'm, I'm not blind to that. I've, I've worked with thousands of children, actually, in my professional life. But also, they can be very compassionate. Yes, yes. Well, we're going to talk more about compassion and how Lily brings this into her world wherever she goes when we come back after this message. the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexsaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back. This is Cheryl Estevito. We are speaking this morning with Lily Rojas, and Lily teaches peace. I had the um, great pleasure of meeting you, Lily, in Barcelona just last year. And we were both at the Women's International Network Global Leadership Forum, and you and I happened to be presenting in different uh, subjects, but we were both presenting and. It was quite an honor for me to be there, and it was quite an honor for me to meet you and be in your presence. And you know, the, I had I was I was able to experience you in two different ways. One was I was able to attend the workshop that you did, which was just so rich and deep, and you created such a sense of connection. And the other was you did a keynote. Um, and you had the entire room spellbound. And it was, you know, that whole issue of compassion. You keep bringing that forward in a way that you don't even need to use the word. People know you, you live compassion. So, you know, you, you talked this last segment a little bit about being an observer as a child and observing people who are happy and people who are not happy. What do you see going on today in our world? Do you see themes around 
compassion? Do you think people are becoming more connected to the idea of compassion? Again, that pause of mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's because I'm really listening. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese um, Buddhist monk who has the monastery here here in Europe and, and one in California, he always says to love is to listen. So accept, Cheryl, that my pauses are because I'm listening to you. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do people have more compassion now? Uh, I'd have to say I don't know. I know that the politically correct answer would probably be to say, yes, people have more compassion now. But I'm not sure that I really, in my heart, believe this because we would have to take it country by country, culture by culture. Uh, I think... Certainly, when tragedy strikes, people tend to open their hearts to each other. I mean, when uh, you recall what happened at the World Trade Center or now with the present crisis that's being called a financial crisis, but I wouldn't call it a financial crisis. I would call it a human crisis. a sort of a, a lack of, of humanity crisis that has consequences, yes? And I can expand on that in a moment. Oh, yes. It has to do with with what I teach um, at the university. But um, there is a, a saying, uh, well, yes, a quote from actually a proverb, the uh, Christian Bible, and it says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Hmm. <laughs> so here's my kiss on the lips about compassion. I think it has always been there, and I think that sometimes uh, suffering and bad times make people really hard and not compassionate at all to others. It's like, I'm going to get mine, and everything is scarce, and, you know, to heck with everybody else. In fact, it's proven that in hard times, people are less philanthropic Mm -hmm. and make less donations to organizations that uh, uh, tend to be of service to others or help others. And yet at other times... um, I mean, not other times, but on the other hand, uh, there's always compassion in the world, I believe. Always is. And I think it's more like a faucet of water. Hmm. And are you going to turn on your faucet of compassion or not? It's always there, like an underground spring. And we would hope that tough times make people more compassionate, but it can also make people more desperate. Mm. And, uh, for example, uh, uh, Christian Envig, um, who runs the conference that um, I'm uh, on the board of the conference, and uh, the, the conference that we met at, 
she was telling me that in Norway, the headlines in the paper have been that there have been many millionaires or former millionaires or would have been millionaires or almost millionaires mm-hmm. who have committed suicide yeah. in the last couple of months, in particularly in one neighborhood in Oslo, and they've had to send uh, psychologists or people to deal with this. And then, of course, there were these multi-billionaires in France and the United States right. and other countries who have killed themselves, yes? Yes. And I think... Uh-huh. Uh, the vast majority of them have families. And certainly not to pass judgment, and, I, I, and I'm speaking really now with a very open heart. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking they were so fragmented and so upset about the financial situation and probably very involved with legal political situations that somehow the compassion for the families mm-hmm. uh, couldn't outweigh their desire to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I wonder about that because that makes me think about um, kind of how we as human beings are hardwired and how the male of a species um, has always been hardwired as the provider. And if, in fact, the, the male, e- even today, um, continues down the path of, I am loved as long as I provide, and then money becomes the tool for providing, and then there's a sense of, not only have I failed, but I can't, I don't know what else to do in order to provide, I mean, you know, talk about compartmentalizing and um, making one um, unidimensional, you know. They don't even see their own multidimension. Um, you know, that's very sad. But that really speaks to kind of how what we're doing as societies, you know, what we're doing to people. And their own compassion for themselves, yes. Uh, one of the things that I teach, of course, in, in peacemaking is compassion for the self. It's where we have to begin. And, of course, that is where I got the title for the uh, manuscript I'm working on, From Inner Peace to World Peace, and all the pieces, spelled P-I-E-C-E-S, in between, because, uh, I, you know, we are... Uh, just having a conversation, and so my thoughts don't flow necessarily perfectly. But from what you said, ah, my heart opens up to the following, which is it's not just perhaps a lack of compassion for family, friends, etc., who will miss them very much, mm-hmm. uh, but a lack of compassion for themselves. Yeah. If I am my work, if I if my worth is my is the worth of my wealth, that is an incredible lack of self compassion. Yes, and it's and you're right. It, it's been taught. It's been taught forever and ever and ever in in, in many different societies. Mm-hmm. But as I said before, in other societies, that certainly is not um, 
what has been taught. For example, if you look at the uh, under the former king of Bhutan, who mm. decided that um, he would not have a gross national product or wealth to measure the success of his country, but he established a policy that the success of his country would be measured by the happiness of his people. And that we could learn a lot from. Then we're going to talk more about that when we come right back. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? 